In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. This weekend marks a transition in, a, in about a two-year process that our church family has been going through as we've uh, been contemplating together um, what we're here for and uh, the feedback that we've gotten from the congregation over numerous meetings and small groups and as we put our heads together and thought about what we're up to is that we... Um, we're a community that wants to enjoy the light of God's presence. We want, to, we want to stand upon the shoulders of those who have bestowed upon us this place, and we want to hand it on to the next generation, so we want to be about a legacy. And um, we, we want to take our bearings from this cross above us that expresses the love of God in Christ. Uh, welcoming us and then sending us. So we, we're beginning um, this weekend uh, a campaign that we're calling um, that we're calling Light, Legacy, and Love. And this this morning we had a brunch in which we we um, we talked about some of our our priorities. And tonight I want to bring a message from the epistle of, of today. Um, focusing on light, legacy, and love. Imagine a fanatical leader in the Middle East with his own army, a group of zealous followers. People who don't follow his beliefs don't deserve to live. He will chase down and wipe out an entire group of people simply for what they believe. He goes from house to house, dragging men, women, and children into the streets to throw them into prison to await who knows what kind of fate. He's complicit in murder. And he puts together a small army to go hundreds of miles into another country to pursue his cutthroat plans. You've got to be saying, if there's any justice in the universe, that guy's got to pay. God's going to get him and make him a greasy spot on the road. Well, God does get him, but not the way you or I might expect. We want justice for the wrong he has done. We want punishment for the downright evil, and it is evil, that he is responsible for. We want to see him pay. We want to see him cast into the outer darkness. But instead of darkness comes light. Blinding light at first. But then, as scales fall from his eyes, healing light. A blinding, then healing light that shows him he should have been a greasy spot on the road, but that someone else had become the greasy spot on the road. He wouldn't get what he deserved. 
And that's the definition of mercy, not getting what you deserve. And it's what he says about himself in our epistle for today. I received mercy. Now, if mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is receiving what you don't deserve. Light grants that too. The blinding, then healing light shows him he's been given an indescribable and undeserved gift. He, though as he says here in our epistle, in verse 15, as he says here, I'm foremost among sinners, up to now a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, verse 13. From now on, he recognizes that he is called to serve the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom belongs honor and glory forever and ever. Verse 17. Thus, my first point. Mercy leads to light. Mercy brings this murderous, fanatical leader into the light, and that's why ever since, light has been such an important part of the worship of those who came to believe Paul the Apostle's testimony about Jesus Christ. The one who, as he puts it in his other letter to Timothy, brings light and immortality to life. 2 Timothy 1.10. And it seems we, we all have a way, those of us who've received the mercy, to bring the light. And um, just because the loss of our dear brother Ben Lane is so fresh, I simply have to say, and though it was largely through music that our friend Ben brought the light, it was the same mercy that made it beautiful and made it pure. Now, notice how carefully the apostle words things here in verse 14. He says that the grace of the Lord overflowed to him with two things. Two things that were in Christ but understood not in him. Faith and love. The faith that's given him a legacy, the love that he finally finds in Christ teaches him to love. So my second and third points, faith leads to legacy and love leads to, well, love. Second point, faith leads to legacy. For all the passion that persecuting Paul had had, and for all the obedience that he thought he had been rendering to God, and he really did think so, Paul realizes now, look at the end of verse 13, that all the fanaticism had been an ignorant exercise in unbelief, lack of faith, 
He had been standing outside the very faith that he had been professing. It's a little like me. Somewhere along the eighth grade, when a friend uh, who was a girl friend asked me to go with her to her cotillion. It's a kind of a big deal dance thing where they've had some training and, well, I didn't see fit to get any dance instructions before I took her. And so all I knew to do when we got on the dance floor was just start moving my body. <laughs> and she looked at me and said, what are you doing? Clueless. Me, outside the cotillion culture, Paul, outside God's commands, outside God's promises, outside God's family. What are you doing? But then what the former fanatical, murderous, zealous, what the, what the former fanatical, murderous, zealot finds in Christ is one who stands inside the faith and draws him in. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who by faith himself inhabits God's promise to reverse the fall of Adam and Eve, to make things right. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who by faith takes up the call given to Abraham and Sarah to trust God and not themselves for righteousness and for a legacy. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who by faith follows Moses through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea out of captivity. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who by faith takes up Hannah's prayer for the power of God's anointing of his king to raise the poor from the dust. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who by faith himself submits to an anointing promised by Isaiah to preach good news to the poor and to let the oppressed go free. Here in Christ, Paul finds one who submits in faith to the stripes that would heal, to making his own life an offering for sin, and then to seeing his offspring, to receiving, in a word, a legacy. Thinking himself an insider, the persecutor Paul had been an outsider, proud of a legacy that he did not, in fact, truly own. Now, given faith like Christ's and as a gift by Christ, he finds himself welcomed into the family of God, himself the lost sheep and the lost coin of today's parables. Now, Paul finally has a legacy to pass on. And in this very letter, along with 2 Timothy, both letters coming at the end of his career, just before his martyrdom at the hand of Nero, Paul's writing down what he hopes his legacy will be. And you know what? 
is the same legacy he offers you and me. Paul has poured himself into his young protege, Timothy, calling him his son in the faith, urging himself to train himself in godliness, to get to know the scriptures, to pray, to grow in speech and conduct, in purity of life. And then, in the end, to give himself to the well-being of what Paul calls, note carefully this wording from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He wants Timothy to give himself to what Paul calls the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the faith. Make the church, he urges Timothy, a place where when people see it, they have reason to believe. The church itself as the pillar and bulwark of the truth. The church is the proof of the veracity of God's word. The church is Paul's legacy. The church is Timothy's legacy. It's yours and mine. And that's why in these letters, along with the others that Paul wrote late in his ministry, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, it's why he spends so much ink in these letters on relationships. And so he talks about bishops or overseers, about elders, we call them priests, but that's a long story for another time, deacons, widows, rich and poor, masters and servants, young men and young women, parents and children, husbands and wives. In a word, our legacy is how we take care of one another. Third point, love leads to love. What Paul found in Jesus was not just someone who believed God and lived in the story, but someone who loved, who loved children. Let the little children come to me, who loved lepers and other outcasts, who loved the cripple, the maimed, the dumb, the blind, who loved sinners and tax collectors and revolutionaries, who loved respectable women and women with a reputation, who loved the faithful who were waiting for the consolation of Israel, and who loved the pagan residents of the Gaza Strip and the Decapolis, the ten cities of modern-day Syria, who loved religious experts Nicodemus, you must be born again. And religious know-nothings, the blind man who gets healed and all he can say is, I have no idea who that was. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. Who loved a band of 12, all of whom would abandon him in one way or another at the point of his deepest need. What Paul found in Jesus was someone who loved him enough 
to make him loved, to make him love the lost, all the lost, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, so much so that he, will tra he would travel the Mediterranean basin all over it, experiencing beatings, shipwreck, nakedness, depression, some sort of debilitating chronic physical affliction, all because the love of Christ who loved him constrained him to go and tell the story of that great love. One of the things that was most encouraging to me over this last year is how many folks are grateful for the healing and the sense of equilibrium and health that's been restored to this fellowship over the last four years or so, put in a comma, and then the sense of, you know, it's about time we were more intentional about reaching out into our world and, and doing what this Jesus above us implies that we should be doing, going in love. And so to that end, I, I told um, folks this morning at our brunch that we have, uh, well, part of what we're, what we're hoping to raise funds for in the capital campaign that we are taking the next step into is uh, funds to do outreach. And to that end, we are bringing on a third, um, well, another clergy staff person to be canon missioner, uh, Peter Tepper, who spoke to us for us back in, in, uh, in early June. Peter will begin with us October 7th. West Point grad, was captain in the U.S. Army and then felt God calling him to ministry, went to Oxford University to receive his training, met his wife there who who is one of Ravi Zacharias's uh, principal speakers, then, and the, the both of whom have a real heart for reaching those who do not yet know Christ. And we're so excited to know that he's coming alongside us to be getting up every morning saying, how can the Cathedral Church of St. Luke love people out there better? So, mercy leads to light. Faith leads to legacy. Love leads to love. The invitation to you and me today is threefold. First, receive the mercy. No matter what wrong road you may have gone down, no matter what price your heart tells you that you deserve to pay, no matter how unworthy, degraded, ashamed, dirty, or disgusting you feel, mercy waits. Praise be, you don't get what you deserve. Just reach out, reach out for the merciful arms already extended to you. 
His sacrifice makes you worthy. His grace exalts you. His undeserved favor makes you clean. His beauty makes you beautiful. The invitation to you and me today is second. Embrace the legacy. Help, please, help this church. Help this church to the extent that you are called to be here with us and among us. Help this church be a place that feels like home to people. Help make this church be a place where when people see it, they have a reason to believe. Believe that children and women can be safe, but also valued and honored. A place where pretense and pride give way to grace and humility. Where truth is spoken in love. Where the passing of the peace is the passing of peace. Let that kind of faith be your legacy. And the invitation to you and me today is third. Love as you have been loved. It was 150 years ago this year that Francis Epps, grandson of Thomas Jefferson, moved his family here from Tallahassee. A legacy child of the Revolutionary War, Epps had helped found the school that would eventually become Florida State University, and he had helped found the Episcopal Cathedral in Tallahassee, only then to see his fortune decimated from his investments in the Southern cause in the early 1860s. Needing a new start, looking to create a new legacy, he and his family came here. Being a lay reader in the Episcopal Church, Epps began a Bible study in his home. You never know what the smallest act of love may yield. Who knew that 150 years later, this would be here? And that we, you and I of all people, would be preparing for the 100th anniversary in 2026 of this amazing architectural gem designed by the architects of the Washington National Cathedral. Then again, the real architectural gem is the people inside. And their love for the people who are not yet inside. Embrace the image of this Christ whose arms both welcome and send. Welcome you to be loved. Send you to love. Love people east of I-4, around Lake Eola, in homes and high-rises, 
love people west of I-4, students in the new creative village and residents of historic Paramore. Help us reach out to people in the North Quarter and people in Sodo, people in 32806 and in 32804, in all the communities in the greater Orlando area where are people where there are people for whom this would help make Jesus make sense. Help us to shore up ties with historic ministries like iDignity and the Christian Service Center. Help us to take on new ministries like Jobs Partnership. Help us build deeper relationships in Honduras and France and new ones wherever God calls us to take his love. Help us make this a place where when people see it, they see God's love and have a reason to believe that God could just possibly love them too. And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask. To him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, now and forever. Amen.